Please listen carefully. Carefully, carefully, carefully. Welcome to Utterly Moderate, a podcast where two reasonable social scientists analyze the important topics of the day. We get rid of politics and opinions to get to the facts. We are the opposite of cable news. I'm Allison Dagnus. I'm a political scientist. And I'm Lauren Seppert. I'm a sociologist. How's it going today there, Allie? Oh, it is going. It's going really well, Lawrence. I'm feeling dry I'm dry? feeling dry. I am. I'm feeling dry because the okay. umbrella of free speech is covering me <laughs> and I feel very, very protected. And you know what? In in just a couple minutes, that is going to make a lot more sense because <laughs> today we are going to be talking about a host of issues around the First Amendment and free speech with our guest, Stephanie Gerard. All right. Well, I'm glad you have your free speech umbrella. Is the room under there for me? Uh, there is, but unfortunately, under my umbrella is right the, where you would be is right where the hole is, where the <laughs> unprotected speech is. So you're going to you're going to get wet. So That's what I thought. That's yeah. what I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Allie, did you watch the Super Bowl this weekend? I watched the Super Bowl the way I always watch the Super Bowl every year. Every year I have Which a, is? with a, a party of two. Me and my husband, that's it. And we make too much food. And it's the one Sunday that I may or may not drink alcohol on a on a weeknight. I never do that. This time I did not. I drank two Pepsis and I was up all night. I will never do that again. I should have had the two beers that I was planning on having. But I always watch the Super Bowl for the ads. I actually have never really watched a game um, because I don't speak sports fluently and I think football is strange. So now that I've offended pretty much everybody who listens (laughs) to this podcast with my ignorance, um, yes, I did watch the Super Bowl. I watched the commercials and uh, I had nachos and two Pepsis. How about you? Well, speaking of commercials, did you happen to catch the Bruce Springsteen Jeep commercial? I did. Did. Did you? I did. So before we talk about it, let's play it for our listeners. Okay. There's a chapel in Kansas standing on the exact center of the lower 48. It never closes. All are more than welcome to come meet here in the middle. It's no secret. The middle has been a hard place to get to lately. Between red and blue, between servant and citizen, between our freedom and our fear. Now fear has never been the best of who we are. And as for freedom, it's not the property of just the fortunate few. It belongs to us all. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, it's what connects us, and we need that connection. We need the middle. We just have to remember the very soil we stand on is common ground, so we can get there. We can make it to the mountaintop, through the desert, and we will cross this divide. Our light has always found its way through the darkness. And there's hope 
on the road up ahead. So that commercial uh, really stuck out to me because as he was talking, I actually had a friend who texted me after that commercial and said, I really thought at the end of that commercial, they were going to say brought to you by utterlymoderate.com. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can we just for one second, why didn't we advertise during the Super Bowl? Did Lawrence, you have $5 what is million dollars wrong with you? Of course. Well, no, but wouldn't we earn it back just like that oat milk guy did? I mean, come on. It would. Yeah. I mean, we could have gotten Bruce Springsteen. I, we know people in New Jersey. I'm sure we could have made this happen. Well, and, you know, the, the sort of the tagline at the end of, of reuniting the United okay. States. I mean, I really think that is what now, I don't think you are or I think that our podcast is going to reunite the country. But the larger project of trying to break through all the politics and, mm-hmm. and all the hyper polarization and really get to the facts in an unvarnished way. I think that is something that can help bring our country back and start to sew that social fabric back. And that's, that's really our mission, right? It is. And I have to say that the ad, you know, I am obviously you and I sort of are are more um, amenable to that message. And it it did get me in all of the feels as the kids say, but um, you know, I think the fact that a commercial that played during the Super Bowl spoke to that means that there is a real hunger to get back away from the polarization that is plaguing us to, to try and lower the volume. I think that it, so it's clearly not just us, right? It's not. I think that a lot of people um, are tired, tired of yelling, tired of being angry um, and want to uh, go back to thinking that politics is boring, which it kind of is. And um, also just be happier with one another, with ourselves and with our country. I felt really good about it in the same way that you felt good about it, which is that, hey, there's a lot of other folks out there that are thinking the same thing and that want the same thing. And then maybe the loudest voices in the room that want to keep driving polarization and want to, you know, keep stoking division actually aren't most of America. And so that makes me feel good. Now, there's a lot of hard work to be done on this, right? Like left and right. We need to realize that uh, we're letting ourselves sort of fall into arguments that are making us feel good. And we have to do the hard work of really searching for good information. And hopefully we're one small piece of that. Yes. And even if it's, even if it's just the three of us, you, me, and Bruce Springsteen who believe this, <laughs> then we're company. in good, we're in very good company. Yeah, it's the um, boss, you know, you know, I mean, look, if we had to pick people, he's up there. Yeah, there um, you go. I think that one of the reasons that the polarization and the hyper negative partisanship just continues is because there's a lot of money that's being made in this. And there are a lot of electoral victories that are being made in this. So at the very least, if we just want to go like super crass, at least there's money that's being thrown around in the name of moderation. Uh And a Super Bowl ad with (laughs) Bruce Springsteen is a lot of money. I mean, so Maybe now, maybe that's what we really should focus on is instead of gaining from our division, maybe we should try and push that profit incentive right to the middle. Let's gain. (laughs) Let's gain from compromise. Um, Let's gain from listening to each other. Uh, And let's, you know, let's try and, and turn down the volume a little bit. And if a melodic and gravelly voice from New Jersey is the man who brings us there, then I'm willing to give him credit for all of that. 
I've never heard somebody say there's money in moderation. I, neither have I. And I, you know what? Maybe until that Jeep commercial in the Super Bowl, maybe there wasn't. Had, were you an Arrested Development fan by any chance? I was. I loved Arrested Development. This has nothing to do. There's there's no like, you know, hidden theme here. Uh, this doesn't connect in any way. But uh, it just for some reason reminded me of George Sr. saying there's always money in the banana stand. <laughs> <laughs> Another lost name of our podcast, The Banana Stand. <laughs> what is wrong with us? God. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that we were both watching at least one part of the Super Bowl at the same time. It was only two minutes, but yes, we were watching the same part of the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> well, we should probably move on. So what do we got on tap today there, Allie? Well, today we are talking about a wide variety of topics involving freedom of speech and the First Amendment. And we're going to be talking about freedom of speech in general, freedom of speech on college campuses. We're going to talk about cancel culture. Sounds like some great topics. I'm ready. Our guest today is Stephanie Gerard, who is currently the Associate Provost and Chief Diversity Officer of Shippensburg University. She received her bachelor's degree from Cornell University, her JD from Boston College of Law, which makes her a lawyer. She is a former private first class in the U.S. Army, a former lieutenant in the United States Navy, Judge Advocate General Corps. She's a trial attorney. She was a trial attorney at the U.S. Department of Justice in the Civil Division Torts Branch, and she defended the federal government across the country in environmental and human radiation experiment lawsuits. She also served as an assistant U.S. attorney, an assistant federal public defender, and her last litigation post was serving as an assistant state public defender in the Capital Litigation Unit in Columbia, Missouri, representing indigent men in death penalty cases. We met at Shippensburg University, where she is a professor of criminal justice and now is our associate provost and chief diversity officer, Stephanie Gerard. Yay! Yay! Thank you. Gosh, I'm, it's so, I'm so happy to be here and honored. Thank well, you for inviting me. Thank you for coming. Yes. Thank you, Stephanie. We're really excited to have you. Uh, what, a, what a nice, it's a beautiful night. It's, it's gorgeous and you are gorgeous and we are gorgeous. Well, you and I are gorgeous. Lawrence is there and uh, <laughs> we are going to um, talk about a nice light subject, which is of course, free speech and the first amendment. Love so, it. Love yep, it. You know, this is very much in your, in your wheelhouse. So can you start us off broadly talking about free speech and when speech isn't maybe so free and maybe when it is? Well, first of all, I just want to say uh, that the First Amendment is so important that I actually have the first five words of the First Amendment tattooed across my back from shoulder to shoulder. Many people question why, why Gerard, why would you do that? And it's because I am a veteran and I took an oath to sacrifice my life for this country, particularly because we are the land of the free and the brave. And a lot of people, they may say that we're the land of the free, but they don't really mean it. They mean I have freedom, but maybe not so much for you. And the First Amendment has five freedoms. Most of people don't know that. Matter of fact, they did a study, I just, it was years ago, where more people could name the five members of Homer Simpson's family 
more readily than they could name the five freedoms of the First <laughs> Amendment. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. Wow. Marge. Okay, the baby. All right. So the first five words of the First Amendment say Congress shall make no law. That's my tattoo. And what that means today is Congress. It means any government entity. It means your city hall, your local school board, your public university shall make no law, which really means any regulation or any type of proscriptive action against somebody's free speech rights. And speech includes expression, which under the court has said, giving somebody the middle finger. Uh, New dancing is freedom of expression. Flag burning, okay? Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of religion, speech, which includes expression, press, freedom of assembly. That's how hate groups can get together. And of course, the, uh, the right to petition the government for redress, which means that you can complain to the government and ask for them to do something, which if you remember, when we were a colony under King George III, a complaint could result in beheading. So these five freedoms are what our founding fathers, the country's founding fathers thought were the most important in the Bill of Rights. And so a lot of people don't understand that the First Amendment only applies to the government. So that would include our university, which is a public university, but not necessarily a private university. That is true. And so uh, and even corporations. So, for example, what you are seeing today in the media is a lot of public figures are claiming that their free speech rights are being curtailed or suppressed and they are misinformed because most of the um, media outlets that are suppressing uh, these particular public figures have a right to do that because they're private corporations. So, for example, uh, Twitter, when uh, you want to engage in that private company's social media platform, you agree to a what we never read. Nobody ever reads that fine print that says here's the terms of use. But what you are consenting to beyond the fact that they can sell your personal information, what you're also agreeing to is to abide by their general rules of conduct. Should you violate those, you can absolutely uh, be banned. Unlike a a public university, which is the arm of the government, should you say something uh, uh, that people find objectionable, which happens all the time on college campuses, but at a public university, if we were, or any public university were to suppress or punish that speech, we would be engaged in what's called Viewpoint discrimination. And we can't do that. You know, I always tell people the First Amendment protects speech you don't want to hear. Now, of course, I should say that and uh, there is two different types of speech. One is protected speech. And the way to think about this is the First Amendment as an umbrella. You're walking under an umbrella of protection of speech. And that includes, you know, again, this is protecting you from government abuse. As a matter of fact, if you read the 10 amendments, the first 10 amendments, the Bill of Rights very closely, the language in the Bill of Rights is very prescriptive, very negative. Congress shall not, right? First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, you shall be free from unreasonable search and seizure. 
the Fifth Amendment. You shall be free from the government compelling self-incrimination. Okay, so it was all designed to protect the public from government abuse. Okay, so I, so the protection is from the government and you're carrying an umbrella. That's protected speech. Political speech, uh, as I said, the, the uh, p- pornography that's, you know, by adults, that's protected speech. Uh, but the other type of speech is unprotected speech. And what I want you to envision is your umbrella has a big hole in it. And this is speech that the government can censor and keep you, the public, the general you, from looking at. And that is like child pornography, since that harms children, not only in the instant, but forevermore, the government can prevent you from making it and distributing it. Another type of unprotected speech is yelling fire in a crowded theater. You can yell fire in your home and, you know, that's protected. But in a crowded theater, that act would cause pandemonium, a stampede, and really could result in physical injury. So that is unprotected speech. So I I just want to be clear that the, the First Amendment right to speech is not absolute. Stephen Colbert had a really funny joke about all of those user agreements that we just click without thinking about it. And he said the entire text of Mein Kampf could be included (laughs) in these user agreements. And all of us would just go, agree, agree, agree. Can you address this idea of, yes, I like that, that the First Amendment protects um, speech that we don't want to hear. But what if we feel really harmed by that speech? Excellent question. And it's one that the court has addressed most recently with the Westboro Baptist Church and um, a Pennsylvania family, the Snyders. This was in in, uh, 2010, 2011. And uh, the Westboro Baptist Church uh, is comprised of members of the Phelps family, and they condemn homosexuality. So when a service member dies on active duty, that death is an act of celebration for them because the soldier was protecting a corrupt America. So if a family put in a newspaper, our fallen soldier has has died, that would be a calling card to the Westboro Baptist Church to show up. So here they show up and um, uh, it was uh, the Marine was Matthew Snyder, who who had perished. Um, in the Middle East, and his family was having the the funeral, and the Westboro Baptist Church showed up, and they have signs that say things like, and again, you'll forgive me, uh, you know, if I'm I'm offending anyone, but they said, thank God for dead soldiers, and you're going to hell, um, among other very harmful messages. So uh, uh, Mr. Snyder sued the church, saying, you haven't, you have caused me harm. This is great psychic pain. These are the last moments on earth that I'm going to spend with my son and our family. And we need to grieve. And I have to be bothered by looking at your sign, your signs and your message. And the case went up to the Supreme Court and they found in favor of the church. And a large part of the reasoning was the signs were generic. They didn't say you, Matthew Snyder, are going to H-E-double-L, you, the Marine in the casket, are, are you know, or is not going to heaven because God doesn't like you. It was generic. So from that, when we look at these issues, because this happens a lot around race, 
a, a lot about gender, a lot about statements about people um, and their ability status. There will be generic statements directing hate and and um, uh, and just discrimination, it seems, against a group. And people will say, I am hurt. This is a threat. You need to shut this down. But it's not because the Supreme Court says, if I put out this statement, um, OK, uh, I hate X group. Some members of that group will laugh. Some members of that group will be hurt. Some members of the group will fight back with more speech and say, that's a lie. And let me tell you why. The fact is, is that people are not a monolith. This pe these people in these groups do not all react the same way to the same offensive speech. And the Supreme Court has said and been quite clear, you cannot control the message by how some people may be offended and hurt. That's what uh, uh, the Snyder v. Phelps case stands for. So just to summarize, generic hate speech that targets an entire group is protected, but hate speech which targets an individual person is not. That is correct. Just saying that uh, some, you know, some group of people is distasteful to you uh, is not enough. Is that why cross burning is not protected speech? I've, I've always thought that there was a historic element to this also, but but it sounds to me like it's more an individual attack. Yes. So you you are correct. It a cross burning. Let's just start with it. And there was a case, Virginia v. Black in 2003. And Virginia has this statute because of its history being the capital of the Confederacy, where cross burning really does have, you know, a message of hate. So this member of the Klan was burning this cross with his friends on his own private property, and someone could see it from a road passing by, and he was prosecuted under this statute. And the Supreme Court made the distinction that if indeed you are on your own land with your own friends, cross burning is protected. You have the umbrella. The government cannot come after you for that. But when you put that cross on your African-American neighbor's lawn as a sign to welcome them to the neighborhood, <laughs> that's definitely meant to intimidate. And it's what the court calls fighting words. Fighting words are unprotected speech. The definition of fighting words are words which, by their very utterance, inflict injury. Now, again, lots of people say when you say racist terms that those are actually fighting words uh, that, you know, uh, because they're words by their very utterance, which inflict injury. But again, it's very, very difficult. It's a, it's one of those concepts in the law that is a slippery slope, uh, you know, because we're human, we're not robots. And these things are very uh, context dependent. Stephanie, can you explain what viewpoint discrimination is? Yes. And it's when the government would suppress or punish somebody for a viewpoint or an opinion that they don't like. So I uh, could say I could be on a street corner and say, I love the government. And that is a viewpoint that the government likes. And they would let me talk if by chance I say I don't like the government. And that is a viewpoint or an opinion with which the government disagrees, 
they could write a law and punish that type of speech. And what the First Amendment prevents is from the government picking and choosing what to punish and what not to punish. And that's why most political speech is under the umbrella of being protected, because you're not going to just shut people down uh, because they express views with which a majority may disagree. Can you give us some examples of how this crops up in debates on college campuses specifically? Well, it's very hard on a college campus because the college campus is the fertile ground for the marketplace of ideas. And this is really what the Supreme Court has consistently grounded its First Amendment jurisprudence in, that the unpopular idea should have an equal opportunity to sway the public, just like the popular idea. And if you think about it, you know, in history, if you just think of it, we'll just take the civil rights movement as, as an example, much of what Dr. King was doing was illegal. There were a series of laws that would prohibit uh, protest, um, the Montgomery bus boycott, when African-Americans then um, uh, started their own uh, sort of the Uber of the 1950s, you know, where they they got carpools together. There was a law that was in place that that made that illegal to force African-Americans back on the buses. So, uh, again, as I said, the context matters. You know, people felt that the civil rights movement had a moral imperative and a, and a moral basis. And, you know, again, with Dr. King, a religious imperative. To, to fight for equality, despite the fact that the law was against them. So on a college campus, we are supposed to be the, the breeding ground where all different people can come together and express their views and, and have the ability to convince people, you know, to your side, if you will. Um, um, you know, uh, the Supreme Court has said the remedy for speech you don't like is not government censorship of that speech. It's louder speech. So that's what's supposed to be happening on, on college campuses. Unfortunately, um, now what's happening, as we all know what the cancel culture um, is, is that because of social media, because I don't, uh, I'm almost 60 years old, I don't remember this happening to this extent, but how uh, a, a meme or a tweet or a TikTok video or something can spread virally overnight, you can get people, the people in your marketplace of ideas to really condemn a particular viewpoint uh, much more powerfully and readily than you could in years past. So if someone is coming to your campus that uh, a certain group doesn't want to hear uh, the students and a lot of people, community members can organize to keep that person off of a campus. I should say, at least at a public college and university, uh, you cannot do that. You can't just not in, disinvite somebody. Now, of course, the caveat is uh, public safety is paramount. So, you know, if, if, there were threats of harm and other things of that nature that might change the calculus. But just based on speech alone and the speaker's viewpoint, that person at least has a right to be heard. Do you have a sense, because we hear the words cancel culture 
a lot and we hear them a lot about college campuses. You know, the idea that college campuses are these like hotbeds of liberalism and conservative speakers are getting shouted down and disinvited just on a near constant basis. I I was wondering if you had a sense of whether this was a big problem, a regular size problem or not as much of a problem. And given that there are more than 4,300 two-year and four-year colleges in the United States. How much of a problem is it? Or is it one of those things where it almost doesn't even matter if it's an actual problem, if it's the perception of this problem? Is that the problem? And I now have said problem about 12 times too many. But And that's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there is something that's called the heckler's veto, okay? And this is in First Amendment law. Then when somebody comes and they're expressing a distasteful view, there is a right to have a heckler's veto. Now, you can't necessarily interrupt the speech, but you can register your dissent in real time. Is this a real problem in terms of viewpoint discrimination? Uh, whether they're extreme liberal or extreme conservative, I do not believe so. But what I think has happened and where I've seen it happen is it depends on who's paying the piper. So in a private university that has big time donors and corporate backers and interests and grants, if I've seen instances, and I'm sure you have as well, where a, an invitation has been extended to somebody, which then because of the public outcry has been rescinded, that I think is more economic than, oh, geez, you know, we're going to we're going to honor the sensibilities of our public and our students. I don't you know, I don't I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think these corporations, these big private universities don't want the backlash. They don't want the boycotts. Now, on the other on the other hand, again, at a public university, there can be public outcry. But there is even more um, uh, incentive to have the disfavored speaker on our campuses the, the difference between a public and a private university is the public university is supported by everybody's tax dollars. So since everybody owns our buildings, owns, uh, you know, pays our salaries, owns uh, the library books. And so um, since they're paying for it, uh, they should have a voice, even despite the protest. Steph, can we go back and can we talk a little bit more about protected and unprotected speech and about that idea of causing harm? Can you address that a little bit more? Yes. So, again, with our umbrella analogy, it's something uh, that, again, political speech and just in general can is uh, protected because we want people to talk about the hallmark of democracy, which is really the exchange of ideas. All right. That's protected. Unprotected, though, is when there is an incitement to lawlessness uh, where people uh, uh, have a dialogue where they they want to people to commit violence or some acts that are illegal. That's Ill, that is unprotected speech. Your umbrella has a hole in it. The analysis, though, between just having discourse that may get a little heated and inciting imminent lawlessness is focused on the imminent piece. And imminent means immediate. 
So there's an example, and it was from the Vietnam War. It was an African-American man, and he was in a park, and he said, if LBJ, referring to President Lyndon Baines Johnson, if LBJ sends me over to Vietnam, I'm going to take him out. And he was charged with inciting imminent violence and, and threatening the life of the president. And he was actually convicted. And the case went up to the Supreme Court, and his conviction was overturned because he wasn't inciting imminent uh, danger to, to LBJ because his statement was, if LBJ sends me to Vietnam. So the condition was only if the president sent him to Vietnam would the ensuing harm happen. I use that as an example for imminent lawlessness. Is the speaker saying right now, here we go, Today, two minutes from now, we're going to do X in terms of committing acts of violence. If so, that is unprotected speech where the government can punish the speaker. But again, if the speaker is just talking about certain political actions and uh, sort of uh, talking about their views of uh, politics at the time, even if it if the speech is a little salty and could be misconstrued, that's going to be protected speech. Talking about cancel culture, because I think that term gets thrown around a lot. And I know that there's a lot of confusion about what that actually means. So there is a country star whose name is Morgan Wallen and Morgan Wallen, I think, uh, fairly recently, there was a videotape that was released that shows he was intoxicated and while such dropped the N word and folks, uh, he I think he was he lost his record contract um, and there were other sort of um, consequences. Uh, Rolling Stone, which, of course, is the magazine of music, uh, said that. Morgan Wallen's exile was swift and decisive. But here's the here's the question. So was he canceled? And my students said, yes. And there's a great Jonathan Rausch article that we can link to that has the the seven you know, points to know that you have actually been canceled in cancel culture. He was deprived of a platform, you know, that there was a united effort in order to take away his livelihood. And yet in the time that this happened, sales of his record went up more than 300 percent in terms of a backlash against this idea that he was being canceled for using a terrible term. So is he being canceled if he's making money on being canceled? It's an, it's an excellent question. And the there's a little nuance there in, in the Morgan Wallen story. And that is his music contract actually was not canceled. It was suspended indefinitely. And what that says is we're going to let this blow over. We're, we're going to make sure that um, we're going to let all the people who find this offensive, and it, let's agree, it's offensive speech. We're going to let it blow over, and then we're going to bring him back into the fold. We, we're, they did not cancel the contract. So to, to your point, what we do with people when they transgress societal norms is very important about what we believe people are. 
So, for example, in criminal justice, for the longest time, we just thought people should be locked up and throw away the key. Right. Right. We moved away from the rehabilitative stance of the 60s when crime in urban areas became more prevalent and violent. And we didn't know how to handle that. But if you see people as people, the remedy for when you do something wrong in a community is to bring them back. It's like restorative justice. You accept you make them you welcome an apology. You have them listen to why what they did was so hurtful and you bring them back to sew the fabric of the community uh, back together, which their acts have torn apart. You don't banish them and throw them off the island, which is just so uh, such a popular, iconic image in our mind to just get rid of people. But if your whole mindset is that people are worthless and not worthy of grace and mercy, then, of course, banishing them and canceling them uh, is, is what you believe should be done. So I always say, who, what is your frame of reference? Are you a forgiving person or are you a banishing person? And that largely uh, dictates what happens here. But it's especially because, as my friend Alison Dagnus says, there's keyboard courage. And all of this that goes on, most of it on social media is done anonymously. Yeah, I doubt very few people, I mean, don't get me wrong, would go up to someone who's hurt, you know, made something hurtful and, and confronted them and, and you know, face to face. I'm not saying that the community isn't outraged by this singer's, this country singer's behavior. Surely they are. But he'll be back. And uh, 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 and hopefully with an apology and some real um, healing that needs to happen. And I think that it should happen all the time. Again, as an educator, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have people realize their mistakes, especially young people. I mean, if I can't even, you know, I'm not going to go there, but if my mistakes when I was young uh, were broadcast and preserved on celluloid forever. Uh, I don't know how I would be functioning today, but let's just put that aside. We've all made mistakes as young people. Mm-hmm. And, and as old people. And yes, and yeah. we're about to come back to the fold. And that's what we want. People have the capacity to change. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that. You know, but again, this is what how we started this conversation. People think freedoms only apply to them and not you. And people believe that grace and forgiveness only applies to them and not others. But I really think as a society around these issues, we should be we should have the restorative justice viewpoint rather than the banishment of cancel culture. And I just want to add on to this a point that you made earlier, just to double down, that this is not censorship because the government isn't doing this. This is a private effort by a lot of people online. Um, and there could be economic boycotts that certain businesses are saying, OK, we're not going to do this. But this isn't the government shutting him down and not to you know, push too much on the um, country music uh, segment of the country. Um, I remember when Duck Dynasty, like some some stuff about the one of the ducks came out and he said something that people found offensive and the network that carried Duck Dynasty canceled them, like not cancel culture, but actually pulled the show from their lineup. And the outrage online of all of the Duck Dynasty fans was so big. They said, oh, 
never mind. And they put it back on the air. And so the the hue and cry at the time was, oh, the ducks are getting canceled or getting censored, right? You know, it's censorship, it's censorship. But it wasn't because the government wasn't saying, all right, ducks, you can't quack. It was money, right? It was just economic interests. And when it looked like, uh-oh, people are going to hate this. Let's just take it off the air. And that backfired on them. They're like, nope, we're going to quack some more and put them right back on primetime lineup. Yeah, there's also, you know, again, and it's a it's a religious expression. I'm not here to to advance or, or inhibit any religion, but there's an expression that says there, but for the grace of God, go I. And those who engage in this banishment cancel culture, you know, understand that the tables could turn at any moment. You could be on the receiving end of this. And what would that feel like for you? Mm-hmm. I mean, people don't understand that. They're just myopic. In, in thinking that, you know, again, most of the cancel culture is coming from a place of, you know, a moral imperative to, to right some wrongs, but do some do do that with understanding that people are indeed human. You know, depending upon the topic that we're talking about, you know, which particular cancel, you know, we're talking about. Oftentimes, I think, well, the the Twitter world really isn't the real world. You know, sometimes people on Twitter are just really, really loud. And I wonder, do they really represent the beliefs of most Americans? Or is this just 5% of the country being really, really loud and wielding enormous power? But that isn't new. I mean, Stephanie, not to interrupt you, but that's not new. I mean, if you remember back in the 80s, do you remember that Christian organizations boycotted Disney? Because uh, Disney had like gay day at Disney World or something like that. I remember reading. Yeah. And and so it was like this huge boycott. And and by doing that, they were I mean, that that also is in the First Amendment. Right. It's, you know, organized protest. And and so this kind of push, this economic push, it's the Uber of the 1950s and the, you know, the boycotts during the civil rights movement. It, that isn't that isn't necessarily new. What's new is the social media platform that allows it to happen with so little effort. You know, back in the 1980s, when when Christian groups were writing in letters, you had to write a letter. You know, I mean, and that took time. It was it didn't take a long time, but it took a lot more time than sitting down and just with your thumbs tweeting out, you suck. And that's it. You know, it takes all of seven seconds to do. So I think there's a labor issue in there, too. And it's also uh, was much more prevalent to be directed at organizations. So Harvey Milk, you know, the San Francisco uh, uh, councilman Mm -hmm. who organized uh, the boycott of Coors Beer in the gay clubs, you know, based on some corporate policy. Mm-hmm. It's like you say, you had to go to each club and, and get people not to buy cores, but it, and it was over labor dispute, I think. Uh, and it was it was very powerful, but it was against organizations. Today's cancel culture is really uh, aimed at people, individuals who may again, many of them have done and said reprehensible things, but uh, to banish them forever. And a kiss, it's also because you can buy bots to do this as well. There's bot services that you can buy that will flood the zone for you. And they're all, you know, I the names that these, <laughs> these bots come up with, I mean, it's a, you know, I mean, we can sit here and laugh, but for someone to see that, 
you know, uh, as you say, Lawrence, you know, uh, uh, 10,000 people, it was that's really five people and, and 10, you know, and 10,000 bots. Um, so that's what also makes it more troublesome is uh, these aren't real um, people in, in a lot of instances. Yes, there are. And you're right. It's the, you know, me and the thumbs in seven seconds, but you can purchase the, the ability to, to harass others mm-hmm. or to cancel them um, in ways that, that involve no human effort at all. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming to talk about all of this. And I think you covered it beautifully. Um, Thank you so much. It really has been a great conversation. Yes. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Well, it's my privilege and it's always a gift when I can bring my tattoo to life. So, of course, that's what I'll leave you with. Congress shall make no law and uh, freedom uh, ain't free. That is the best ending of this podcast that we are ever going to have. Thank you very, very much. Well, I always love talking to Stephanie, but that was, I think, an especially terrific conversation. That was great. I completely agree. Stephanie is super smart and she's funny and she's engaging and she's just a wonderful guest. So I'm so happy that we had her. Before we leave, let's talk about the website, utterlymoderate.com. If you go to the website, you can find all of our episodes there in the episode archive. In that archive, you'll also find companion resources. So we reference a lot of statistics and studies and books during our episodes, and all of those are linked right there. So if you want to come to a deeper understanding of the topics that we're talking about, you can do a much deeper dive. Just go there, utterlymoderate.com, go to the archive and click on those links. And of course, you can find Utterly Moderate, wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and much more. And until next time, thank you for joining us. We we loved having you, and we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for listening. Bye. Please listen carefully. Carefully. Carefully.